Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day. A conversation that brings state leaders to you and state educational leaders to you, and I hope you feel free to join in the conversation. Actually, today's a special edition. This is for school board candidates, so it's uh, members who want to be part of the uh, uh, education community. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning, uh, this evening, I should say. And before I get started, however, if you want to participate in the program and call in, Amory will tell you how to participate. I'll be happy to, Ray. To call in, dial one three four seven nine eight nine. 8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions on to our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Uh, as I indicated before, this is a special program for school board candidates. Um, usually our program is for board members and school, school administrators. Uh, we look at this program as a way of, uh, if you're thinking positively that you're going to get ele- uh, elected, that you get a leg up on your first uh first year. Um, being a board member is one of the most rewarding positions that you'll you'll have. It's a public position, and it, but it's also one of the more challenging. Uh, with me uh, this evening, I have three uh, staff members from New Jersey School Board Association. First, I have from our legal department, Donna Kay, who's a counsel with us, and Donna's been with us for 25 years. Welcome, Donna. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, and also I have Terry Lewis, who's a field service representative in the southern region of the state. Uh, and Terry's also a former board member. Terry, welcome. Well, thank you. Good evening. And also I have Marsha Levine, and Marsha coordinates a lot of our county activities and also a lot of our training, uh, mostly in the southern region. Uh, welcome, Marsha. Hi, Ray. Welcome. I'm glad you're all here. And as uh, Amory said, uh, if you want to call in, please feel free to do so. To do that, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one, and that'll indicate to Amory that uh, you have a question. Uh, let's get started uh, with you, Donna. First, um, the minute you're elected, or very soon after you're elected, uh, it's a public position. You'll have to do a couple of things uh, that you may not be used to. Uh, you'll have to have a criminal background check. Uh, could you explain why that is? Uh, sure, Ray. Uh, actually, uh, a new law came into effect uh, last May in 2011, um, and that law says that a board member or a member of a board of trustees of a charter school who's been convicted of certain crimes or offenses is ineligible to sit as a board member. So, just like school employees have had to do for many years, now board members as well have to obtain a criminal history background check. Um, and the way that they go about doing that um, is they would go um, – to the school business administrator who could help them out and guide them through the process. It has to be done within 30 days of, of their election or appointment. Now um, now that the November election 
is in uh, November 6th and they don't get sworn in until January, the question has arisen, do they wait until they get sworn in or is it right after the election? And the information that we've gotten from the Department of Criminal History Review is that it's within 30 days of their election, so that that time frame starts running on November 6th. So they have to start right away. They have to start right away. That's right. And they would register online at the Department of Education's website, and there's a certain website that's set up for that purpose, um, and then they would have to get a fingerprint check. And there is a cost for that fingerprinting, but I will tell you that many boards reimburse their board members for the cost of the fingerprint, fingerprint checks, but that's up to the individual board. And the cost of that, including all the fees, will come to about uh, $77.50. Okay. And if a board member has campaign funds left over, they can use that as well. Um. Also, uh, once you're uh, elected, you have to fill the financial disclosure form. Can you explain what that is? Yes. Um, within Now, this one is another 30-day requirement, but it's within 30 days of taking office, that is, of being sworn in. So for the November election, that would be 30 days after their January organization meeting. And then you would they would fill out a form uh, listing the name and address of the sources of their income, but not the amounts, just the names and the addresses of the sources and of their husband or wife or dependent children who live with them. And that would be income from the last calendar year. So for uh, incoming board members, that would be for the calendar year January 2012 to December 2012, and you'd file that with the board secretary. And then there's another disclosure statement listing any employment or other contractual relationships or businesses that the board member or the board member's uh, spouse, child, parent, or sibling might have with the school district. And those are public records. Now, uh, my understanding is that the criminal background check, you don't have to do yearly. You do it for your term. Uh, but the financial disclosure, you would do, that's on an annual basis. Yes, and every year after the first year, it will be by April 30th of that year. All right. Uh, Terry, I know you work with a lot of school districts and a lot of school board members. Um, from your experience, what is one, one of the biggest surprises to a new board member after they've been on the board for just a short time? Wow, one of the biggest, there are usually quite a few. Um, I think one of the biggest, though, is if you've run on an agenda, you, when you get there, you get the impression that this is not going to be as easy as I think. Um, for example, when I ran for the board, um, and maybe I wasn't the best board member in the world when I started, but I thought that I could go in and affect taxes and uh, get rid of teachers that weren't performing. Um, and in very short order, I found that that was not the case. There's a whole lot um, that goes into it, and I had to sit back and reevaluate, uh, did I want to continue with that? So it is a shock, I think, when you first start. So uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, I guess the hard part is that you're, you're, even though you're elected, you're part of a team or a, a group of people, and you have to work with these other people to get anything done. That is exactly right. There's usually nine members on a board. There's some seven. There's some 11. But for the most part, there's nine. And you have to form really good relationships with those other people if you really want to affect change. Um, you know, the board works on a system of voting and majority rules. So if you're the lone ranger um, and there are eight other votes, you have to go with the majority. So by fostering those relationships and sharing a common vision, um, you can then move your district forward. 
So if you're if you're the one vote and an eight one vote, you you might be making a point, but you're not changing policy. That's exactly right. Okay, um, Marsha, uh, a board member comes on; they have to make decisions right off first meeting. They're making decisions, uh, and particularly the first year, a lot of the the jargon is new to them. Um, where can they get information uh, besides their own local district? Well, right, they have a lot of options for them. Um, the first one would actually be someone like Terry, your field service representative who comes into your district. Um, they are always available to you via email or phone calls to answer questions that you have. But the 24-hour access to NJSBA is actually at our website, which is www.njsba.org, which you've probably already been to. Um, but on there, you're going to find lots of resources on all aspects of being a board member with their roles and responsibilities. Um, in there, you can connect in with all of the professionals there at NJSBA. You can get your questions answered from email or phone numbers that are available. There's also daily clips, which will keep you up to date on all of the happenings in the state of New Jersey in education. Also, you'll see a whole section on training, which is available to you. Um, NJSBA has answered the call for more localized training by providing things called county meetings, which is a time where you come together with your local community and you have conversations about the needs in your area as well as a short informational session, which is on a, on a topic that is usually considered to be a hot topic. Um, the next type of meeting that we have is called a county meetup, which many of the listeners may have received information about in their, in their letter that they got from us. Um, this is an opportunity for board members to come out and meet face-to-face -face with NJSBA staff to kind of put a face with the name. Um, but it's also a chance for them to network with each other as well as those staff members and to have clinic opportunities with the legal labor relations, policy, and field service departments. Um, and the last opportunity that we provide is our academy trainings, which are really professional development moments. It's time for you to come out and learn about a topic that's important to your actual decision-making processes. Um, Marsha, I've been to a lot of county meetings, but besides the NJSBA staff, you also have representatives from like the, the New Jersey Department of Education and other, sometimes other superintendents from other districts. Uh, so you have a host of ed educational experts that come. Correct. We also um, sometimes will bring in uh, entities that work with school districts, and they will discuss uh, things they've done with local districts to help them either save money or, or have helped them answer some of the questions and initiatives in the education reform. So there's a wide variety of people that are brought into county meetings and county meetups and, and, and even academy programs. We reach out to everyone in the educational community to kind of help educate our board members um, on, on important issues. And some of those people have been going, I've seen them, been going for about 20 years to these meetings. <laughs> yes, yes. There's always something new to learn. Um, and that's what a lot of my members tell me is that they come out because every time they come, there's something new that they learn. Even if it's a topic that they thought they, they kind of had mastered, there's always something new, especially when we have a GR, a government uh, relations representative there talking about legislation or even an assemblyman or, or a representative talking about legislation that's happening. Okay, uh, Donna, I'm going to go back to you. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to goes first to uh, board members are governed by something called a code of ethics. Can you uh, briefly explain what that code is? Because that's a little different and they may not know about that because uh, it's not something that's put on the petition. Sure. Um, 
Well, the Code of Ethics is a list of uh, ten categories of ethical behavior. And when you, when a board member gets on the board, they promise to follow this Code of Ethics in order to serve. And this code is actually part of a bigger law called the School Ethics Act. Um, but the Code of Ethics itself was actually written initially by board members as a good practice, and then it became part of the law. And it is enforced by a school ethics commission uh, that's appointed by the governor. And um, one, can I, would you like me to go into a couple of the areas of the yeah, just briefly, ethics yeah. act? Sure. Um, one important area that's covered under the Code of Ethics involves your personal speech. Um, and you have to be aware that you know you, you don't give up your right to speech just because you get onto a board, but if you're going to give your personal opinion about issues that do involve the schools, you have to make it really clear that you're speaking as an individual um, and that you're not representing the school board. And you also have to be really concerned generally about um, not revealing confidential information. That's another part of the, um, the School Ethics Act. And you have to remember that because you're going to be privy to a lot of information that other citizens don't have access to, to be really careful not to leak that confidential information because that would be a violation of your ethical responsibilities. Um, another thing that um, you need to be aware of is that um, your role is to establish, will be to establish broad policy. So if you get elected, you you know don't think that you'll be able to get right in there and tell the custodian how to do his job or you know the teachers how to do their role. Those are um, administrative roles. Your your role is really just would just be to establish broad policy, so you can't micromanage, and that would be a violation as well. And those are those are a few of the areas that um, that board members um, have to you know come to, to terms with, and and uh, you know as they become seasoned board members, it becomes more and more clear how these uh, provisions of the Ethics Act apply to their role as a board member. I just want to touch, Terry. Uh, I'll ask you because this what Donna just said seems to kind of touch on what you said before that when you first got elected you thought you could change everything but there's some restrictions and I know the mantra is uh you don't run the school district you know board members don't run the school district they're really there to uh, make sure the district is well run could you explain what that really is that means yeah and that kind of dovetails with what Donna was just talking about with the code of ethics because that is actually one of the uh tenants is that um you know, you carry out your responsibilities not to administer the schools, but to make sure that they are well run. And I always tell board members, it, it, it's it's kind of like a board of directors. You know, if you were on the board of directors at Coca-Cola, you're not in the bottling plants telling people how to put it in the bottle. Um, you have a CEO for that. Um, and a school board operates the same way. Um, you make policy. Uh, you, you're responsible for planning. You're responsible for appraising um, how those plans were carried out. Uh, but you don't actually do that work. An easy way, I think, to remember it is um, with two words, what and how. Um, if it's a what question, it belongs to the board. Um, if it's a how question, it belongs to the superintendent and the administration. For example, um, you might say, as a board, um, we want to make sure that we have no more, in, in, in five years, we have no more textbooks. We want all our textbooks to be on the computer, and we want computers in the hands of all of our students. That's a what question. 
as to how that happens, that is up to the superintendent. Uh, let me just follow up on that because one of the most important relationships besides, you know, we talked earlier about having a good relationship, not necessarily good, a professional relationship with your colleagues on the board, but you just talked about uh, the superintendent. And that's probably the most visible person uh, in, the educa- in the district to most of the public anyway, uh, in terms of the district policy and who's uh, managing the school district. How is that relationship between the board and the uh, Superintendent unique? You know, it's unique in the fact that the board hires one individual, and that is the superintendent. The superintendent makes recommendations to the board for every other hiring after that. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the superintendent is a member of the board. They are a non voting member, but they are still a member of the board. Uh, so whenever you have meetings, Um, even if they're committee meetings, you want your superintendent there to provide you with the information of what's happening at the schools now, um, any educational recommendations, any personnel recommendations. That is all up to them because those are all how questions. Uh, You mentioned that the superintendent makes recommendations, say, on personnel. Um, So does that mean if I'm a board member and uh, the superintendent brings a name to me, and I don't like that, I'm not too particularly fond of that recommendation, can I suggest a name or I can only act on a a name that's put before me by the superintendent? Board members should definitely not suggest any names. If you don't like the recommendation that was made, surely you have that right to say uh, or to vote no, Uh, but it's not up to you to suggest the replacement. Uh, The superintendent will then bring back other candidates um, and make a recommendation back to the board. Uh, Donna, I just yes. gave a scenario of a board member maybe making a recommendation. Are there conflicts of interest that a board member should be aware of or uh, in terms of uh, personnel or any their financial? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the way the law is designed, it's to make sure that um, a board member doesn't have personal interests that affect the board member's ability to make decisions that are based on the best interest of the school district. And so, you know, sometimes there are either actually or a perception that certain personal interests would interfere with that ability to be impartial. <clears throat> so, for example, um, one area that uh, boards member, more be- board members have to be very concerned about is that um, if they have relatives who work in the district, um, that relationship with a relative working in the district could create a conflict of interest, and that might restrict a board member's ability to be involved in certain issues. So, for example, let's say you have um, a brother who works in the district, um, and you get onto the board. You would not be able to participate in one of the one of the major tasks of the school board, which is to negotiate the contract between the school board and the local teachers' union. Um, you'd be conflicted out of doing that. So you should realize that if you do have relatives working in the district, there may be certain things that you might not be able to participate in, and it's important to let the district know. Also, um, you should know that if you become a board member, once you're on the board, the board itself is not going to be allowed to employ members of your family, so you should be aware of that. 
um, you can't, they, the board will not be permitted to hire your relatives. So if you have, um, let's say, your nephew's graduating college with a teaching degree or something, um, the board is not going to be able to hire him. And when I say relatives, it's a pretty broad, um, a, a pretty broad menu of relatives that would be affected mm-hmm. there. But couldn't, uh, could I just abstain and say I'm not going to sit in on this and let the rest of the board members um, make that no. decision? No, the board is not allowed to hire your relatives, and that would be a penalty on the board for doing that. Now, um, in a situation where you have relatives and we're talking about um, collective bargaining agreement and participating in the, the collective bargaining agreement, you would abstain from participating in the collective bargaining agreement and all those discussions with the union. Um, the board, you know, you could still be on the board just because you have relatives that work in the district. Um, you know, you could still be elected, but then you would not be able to participate in the collective negotiations. So in that situation, yes, abstaining would be okay. So it's just on the personnel, the hiring of, or I guess the, not just the hiring, maybe the promotion uh, of uh, a relative. That cannot happen. The superintendent can't even make that recommendation. Um, if, if you have a relative that works in the district, no, that person can be can be promoted. You would abstain from that decision. Yeah, abstain. If they're already in the district, that's okay. Okay. Uh, Marsha, we'll go back to you. Uh, yes. This is hosted by New Jersey School Board Association, a statewide organization, which I'm sure mo- the candidates probably went to our website and looked up a lot of things. The County School Board Association, though, is a little bit – uh, different uh, association. Uh, could you explain what that is and how they're run and um, who they are? Sure, sure. The County School Board Association is really your local link back to the State Association uh, of NJSBA. Um, it's composed of members from the, the county community who are elected into various positions within the, the county and um, they help to come up with topics and and bring in meetings and suggest locations and are kind of the point person for myself for creating the county meetings and the county meetups that I talked about earlier. Um, they've also been uh, an integral part in planning of the, the academy trainings. Um, the, the local county meetings and meetups are really a chance for you to come out and, and con- express the concerns you have for your district or, or even express ideas and initiatives that you've done. Um, recently, as, as many are aware of, there's been a lot of talk about education reform. Many of the districts have come out and, and shared ideas and shared how they've how they've gone through and worked with all of these things. The most recent example of that is um, the edu- Excellent Educators for New Jersey, the pilot program that was out there. Many districts participated. Pemberton Township and, and Ocean City and a few others came out and talked about the experiences that they had through that process for the evaluation system and shared the downfalls, the good parts, what worked, what didn't. Um, and it really helped the other districts to get an understanding of what they were heading into with the new, with the EE4NJ, Excellent Educators for New Jersey, and the new tenure reform evaluation law and everything like that. Um, so it's a chance for you to, to work with us and give us information, but the important part is that you're getting information from us too. So the, co- the conversation is flowing two ways, from the state to the local and from the local back up to the state so that they know, so that when we're up there talking about stuff, we know what it is that... Salem County or Bergen County or any of the counties need, we have a real understanding because each county is is very different and the association understands that. And in order to keep that local 
flair, so to speak. Um, the county associations are, are, are very important for that. So you could get, if you attend one, a, a meeting like that, you can at least, uh, someone who's usually probably close, a, a, a neighboring community or very relatively close, you can get information on what they're doing firsthand. Correct, correct. It's a, it's it's really nice because the the meetings provide you with with a chance to network with your other community educational leaders, as well as with the staff and whatever whomever we brought in. But the important thing is that it, there's really a lot of time set aside for everyone to to share good things, bad things, whatever it is that's on their mind that day. Okay, Don, I'm going to go back to you. Uh, now we're having an election in November, which I believe is the first time in history that we've had a November election for yeah. board members. Maybe we did it in the 1800s or 19, early 1900s, but I'm not aware of that. Um, so and we're also having, for the first time, a long lame duck period for board members. Uh, it used to be you were elected in the, yeah. the end of April, and then you were sworn in uh, within two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now you're not. it's going to be almost two months. You'll be elected November 6th, mm-hmm. and depending on when your reorganization is in that early June, uh, January, it's two months. Mm-hmm. Um, can board members attend? Obviously, they can attend the public meetings uh, before they're sworn in, but uh, is there information that they may not be privy to or they shouldn't That's expect? Right. Yeah, because until uh, a successful candidate is actually sworn in at the organization meeting or after the organization meeting, that candidate is is not truly a board member. So, uh, that board member is not going to be privy to anything that's confidential and, and really cannot attend those closed session meetings because that's where all the confidential issues are going to be discussed. But uh, you mentioned that that it's a good idea to come to these public meetings, and that really is a great idea because um, you know you do have the two the two month period to kind of come up to speed um, in that lame duck period. Uh, you can listen to the conversation, take advantage of attending those open meetings, and it gives the board member-elect an opportunity to become familiar with all the issues and um, that are that are in the community, and so that's a good thing. But, but no, you're not going to be part of the board quite yet. And you're right, this is the first time we've had such a long, a long time. Um, usually it's just uh, two or three weeks, and now it's, it's two months. Uh, so it is quite different, but but there really is not that ability to be privy to confidential information at that time. All right, I'm going to Terry. I want to go to you on this, but first we have a question from the chat room. Um, Am Ray? You said there's a question. Uh, actually, Ray, there's a couple questions. Okay. Uh, it has to do with um, what Donna was talking about previously, which is relatives, and um, I'll just read the three of them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then Donna, if you need them repeated. I'm happy to do that. Okay. Uh, first is in regarding uh, regarding the relative issue. Is a sister-in-law considered a relative? Um, for some purposes, well, okay. Um, in the broad definition of sister-in-law, uh, under the uh, in the broad definition, sister, some sister-in-laws would be your. Okay, let's see how this works. Let me see. Now. Only the good ones, Donna. Are you telling me? <laughs> <laughs> Right, the ones who come and make dinner and take care of your kids. But You're right. <laughs> so your your spouse's sister would be considered a sister-in-law, but your brother's wife would not be. That's interesting. Yeah, the way if you look at the, the and the definition is, definition is constructed in a very 
unusual way. So if you read through it, and we've kind of, uh, in our office, we've looked at the definition. It's a, kind of a legal conundrum there. You kind of have to read it carefully. But that seems to be the way it works um, when, you're, when you're looking at that. Now, so for the purpose of having a, a relative um, working in the, uh, if the board wants to hire one of your relatives, that definition would become important. You know, it would also be uh, advantageous for that, whoever the, the person is, the candidate, that if they're elected that they uh, consult with the school board attorney or on that absolutely, issue? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of the, the questions that involve conflict of interest or ethics issues, they're, al- they're not always so clear-cut. There are a lot of gray areas, and um, board counsel is there. But I, I do want to point out, um, you know, that board counsel is there to assist the board as a whole and to give the board advice, um, but doesn't represent any one individual board member or the chief school administrator. So uh, sometimes, you know, board members might believe that they're going to have unfettered access to the board attorney, and that's not always the case. Um, and boards often have policies on who who um, can call the board attorney to ask questions. So you want to follow the policy that you have. You might have to, and it's going to vary from board to board. To board. Uh, sometimes it might be the board president, so you would funnel your question through the board president. And, and that's done primarily to avoid duplicative questions going to the attorney, um, especially since our state policymakers have encouraged boards to reduce the cost of their legal expenditures. And also, you know, New Jersey School Boards Association has a legal department. I'm part of it. Uh, we're there every day to um, to help assist you with legal information. I think that point that you made is important about um, the school board attorney. It's not there to keep people from getting legal information, but it's a cost, a way of containing costs that you don't have seven people calling the school board attorney with the same question. Right. right. Uh, Emory, you had another question? Uh, Yeah. Um, There's two more. Uh, This this next one also relates, which is related to what Donna was just saying, and it is how far-reaching is the relative list? Would this pertain to cousins through marriage? And let me get this the other question in there. Would a spouse would a spouse's income have to be disclosed? So there's, there's the reach how far reaching is the relative list? Okay. And would a spouse income have to be disclosed? Okay, and we're talking about um higher when we're talking specifically in the realm of uh relatives that work in the district. I'm gonna read the I will read the list of right from the law, this might be helpful to hear, if if that would be helpful. It's parent, child, sibling, aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, grandparent, grandchild, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, step-parent, step-child, step-brother, step-sister, half-brother or half-sister of the individual or of the individual spouse, civil union partner or domestic partner, whether the relative is related to the individual or the individual spouse, civil union partner or domestic partner by blood marriage or adoption. So it's kind of a a long definition, so it's quite broad. But if you have a question, uh, again, uh, you can call um, New Jersey School Boards, um, and once you're on the board, um, you can you know speak to the board attorney through the chain of command. Okay. What was uh, what about her other the other question? The other question had to do with the spouse's income. Yes. And um, well, you never have to reveal the amount of income. It's just the source. And it is uh, for the spouse. It is the um, 
let's see, it's the spouse or dependent child of the board member residing in the same household. So the emphasis there is not on the amount. We're not saying you have no. you made fifty thousand dollars from this investment or whatever. It's really that this is where your in, your income comes from, and I guess yes. that's to see if there's any conflict of interest that you're exactly. getting income from so the say, school district you know, like, or someone does say, business. Exactly. So I would say, you know, Donna Kay. I um, you know, if my husband were a board member, I'd say spouse of the board member, um, and then would be New Jersey School Boards Association would be the source of my income. And that and then you would just list your position. So that that would really be what it would be. You wouldn't have to um list the amounts. And it's um only amounts over two thousand dollars. And also you you do not have to list amounts uh, that are interest on a publicly traded security. Okay. Um you know, Terry, uh, before we had the, those uh, three questions, and there were great questions. If anyone wants to write any more, please do so. Uh, or you can call in with your own question, one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and press 1. Uh, Terry, we were talking about the lame duck session. Do you have any advice for someone if they're elected, what they might want to do between now and the time they're sworn in? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um you might want to talk to uh, the board president or the superintendent uh, to see if there's a way that you can set up a meeting ahead of time to sit down and talk about what's going to happen at, at the first reorganization meeting. Uh, they're generally uh, longer meetings. There's a lot of things that have to get decided. This one's going to be a little bit different, though, because you did have some sort of a reorganization meeting back in April, even though there was no election. Um, and that was only because of contracts. But um, I would sit down with them and see if I could get kind of the lay of the land, how this works, what's to be expected of my first meeting. The other thing that I would ask them for is a copy of the board's bylaws, which if you have our policy, um, it's usually in the back of the policy manual. And I would make sure that I, you know, I, I had a couple of months I could familiarize myself with those bylaws. Um, it talks about how the board is set up. Are there committees? Who appoints committees? Is there a spokesperson for the board? So it kind of talks about the structure of the board um, and how the board governs itself, and that would be good to know moving in. Um, I think that's about it. There's probably a ton more. But There's probably a ton more, but I, yeah. actually I was thinking as you were talking, it might be advantageous then uh, actually, this lame duck session, in some ways, if you're elected, gives, gives you more time to get information instead of having like two weeks to to figure this out. Um, you might have more time to get more information for that first meeting. Absolutely. And I think even for ongoing projects, too. You know, um, things, board initiatives, district initiatives that are already in place that you may not be familiar with, you know, you, you may not hear about them until, let's say, February when something comes up and, you know, I got the information back and it was presented to the board and you could be sitting there scratching your head going, where did this come from? Well, it's because it was something that was started six or eight months ago and it's just gotten to that point. So at least you could be brought up to date on different things, different initiatives that the that the board and the district have been working on. Um 
some districts have a mentoring program for new board members, um, and that would be great if you could find that from your board president if, in fact, um, they did. And if they don't, you might want to say, you know, I know you're the board president, but is there someone else on the board that could perhaps mentor me? Like if I had questions, could I call so-and-so? Because a, a, a lot of the information that you get, you know, Marsha, I think you guys talked earlier about, you know, all the abbreviations and the terms and things. Sometimes when you're reading those agendas, you could sit there and scratch your head and go, I have no idea what this term means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it would be great if you could pick up and, and, and talk to another board member and say, hey, what is this? Yeah, I think that's great. And especially going uh, into that uh, reorganization meeting, I know we all tend to catch ourselves. We try to catch ourselves, but we talk with in acronyms uh, all the time. Uh, Marsha, um, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, I, I know a lot of board members just love the value of networking uh, with other board members in other districts. I mean, it's just they come – Sometimes they want to know who's coming just so they can talk to some other people. Um, Why do you feel that is? I think that it helps them to feel like they're not alone. Um, And I think that's the biggest value of of these trainings and and meetings that we have closer to your house and to your community. Um, A lot of boards are going through a lot at, at different times. And sometimes you get, you kind of get lost in the forest through the trees, you know, um, and when you have a, a moment to sit down with somebody else that says, you know, I'm dealing with this, and, and, and you make that connection, it helps you feel as though, okay, phew, you know, I'm not doing this all by myself. There's, there's a lot of us going through this, and maybe maybe you can help me figure out the answer because maybe something you're doing will help my district. Um, also, I think it's just nice to sometimes sit down with people that understand what it is that you do. Um, I know that I've had family members that were school board members, and you know, they would come home and talk about their meeting or talk about what was going on on the board, and my eyes would glaze over because I didn't understand it. Um, now, working for NJSBA, I have a greater understanding of what it is that a board member does. And I think sometimes just having a support system that's there that you can turn to, like Terry mentioned, the mentoring program within your district, this is similar in that it's it's a support system at, the, at a larger level um, to help you get through everything that you're doing and even just to talk about what you're dealing with on a daily basis. And I would agree, sometimes it's easier to talk to someone from outside your district uh, than inside your district. Uh, we yeah. have a caller uh, gonna, with the question. Vic, you have a question about the relative again, right? Yes. Okay, Vic. I, we'll, I was just wondering if the rule about the board not hiring any relatives also applies to part-time positions like athletic coaches and things like that. Good question. Donna, um, this it, is why you're here. Yes. <laughs> um it would apply to part-time positions, but there, a board is allowed to put in its policy an exception for per diem substitute teachers and student uh, student employees. So, you know, some students will be hired uh, by the board. So those are two areas where um, if the board puts that specifically in its policy, it can still hire relatives of a board member. So it's for for daily, you know, per diem subs that are paid on a per diem basis, sub teachers and students who are employed. Well, an an athletic coach would be like getting a a year's, you know, six thousand dollars for covering the sports season. Is that considered per diem? I don't think that's what they meant. Um, I think when they talked about a per diem sub, 
um, and I believe there was, uh, well, the per diem sub, I believe they would mean somebody from a substitute list. But I don't know that there's been a specific ruling on your question. And very often um, some of these areas are a little bit gray. Um, and that's, hey, can, I, can I just yes. ask a question? Dick, are you talking yes, about someone who's already in the district or is thinking about going into the district? So you guys, um, we're Dick, talking about you, if, if they... Vic, is this a new hire, oh, someone sorry. who's going to be a new hiree or is it someone who's already hi- employed by the district? No, it would somebody that would be brought in. Brought in. Okay, they're not there already. Okay. Right. If they're there already, that's not a problem. You can run for the board and you can be on the board. Just because somebody's employed in the district doesn't affect your ability to run. But once you get on the board, the issue arises. The board cannot hire one of your relatives or a relative of the chief school administrator, for that matter. Okay, and I Vic. Think, I think when they're talking about per diem subs, they mean like substitute teachers that um on a they're they're hired on a daily basis they're paid on a daily basis okay okay list. all right thanks okay. for calling Vic. thank you all right uh i want to get to one other thing donna um because we only have a few minutes left but uh i just want to touch on um we can't do the Sunshine Law in like two minutes. We have a whole program for those who are listening that we're going to have for, <coughs> excuse me, uh, an episode on that, uh, a video program. But on Oprah, on Oprah uh, I think if you're a board member or going to be a board member, you should know about uh, emails and what's a public record. Right. Um well, Oprah is an ad. We were just talking about all these, these, all these abbreviations and everything like that. So the, an Oprah is really the Open Public Records Act. Um, it's the law in New Jersey that says that um, government records should be available to the public with certain exceptions, and you can make uh, members of the public can make a request. And one of the things that board members have to be aware of is that emails that they might send um, – that have to do with board business. So if you're going to be sending an email to another board member or to the chief school administrator or anything regarding business of the board, potentially can become a record, a public record that is accessible to the public that they can make a request for and get a copy of. A member of the press can get a copy of it. Anybody can get a copy unless it's subject to certain other confidentiality but you know so there's some that can't but but in a general just a general concern is that somebody could get a copy of whatever you put in an email so you need to be really cautious about what you do put in an email with the recognition that that could become a public record and that's something that board members are not always aware of and that includes even if it's from your home computer doesn't matter where it's stored or where it's created if it's um you know in the school's um email uh uh, what do you call it, um, um, file or, or address, or if it's from your own home computer. That doesn't matter. It really has to do with what you're talking about. If the subject has to do with board business, it could become a public record. Another thing that you have to be concerned about is um, creating inadvertently creating a meeting by sending an email to a whole the whole board and having that become a conversation because that raises concerns under our sunshine law where meetings are supposed to be done right. in a particular way. Okay, Donna. Like I said before, we're going to have a 
video That's programs right. on education matters, part. which will probably be up tomorrow on that very issue. Uh, Marsha, I'm going to let you have the last word. You have like 30 seconds. Uh, tell us <laughs> tell us about the meetups because we did send a letter to the board of candidates, and this would be a continuation, but it, it more in-depth conversation on some of these issues, correct? Correct. We will have legal, labor relations, policy, and field service available to answer any and all questions that you have that may stem from this, but also to answer some questions that you may have during that lame duck period where you are going into your board and listening, going to your board meetings and listening to things. Um, it's a chance to meet everyone who locally will help you and work with you. Um, the big thing to remember is that NJSBA is here to support you, and this meetup is there to show you that. Um, and as well as it's going to introduce you to some veteran me members of the board, as well as the other members that have just won. Okay, thank you. That was. A, I'd like to thank Marsha, Terry, and uh, Donna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, and for you, school board candidates, I wish you well in your race. And even if you do not win, uh, I think just by participating in the system, you really enhance it, everyone. And we have. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at those meetups in uh, November. December and January. Thank you and good night.